What we're going to do with the time that we have this morning is look at Luke 1, uh, verses 26 through 56. And if you do have a hard copy of the notes on the back, you'll see the text that we'll be reading through um, this morning. But the title of the message uh, today is From Worry to Worship. From Worry to Worship. If you've been attending Cornerstone for any length of time, you you would already know that I am a sucker for heart-stirring videos on the internet. And one of my favorite uh, videos that I have seen features a woman in Illinois who was pulled over by a local sheriff's officer. And the officer approached her car and asked her to step outside the vehicle. Once she did that, he instructed her to get uh, stand in the back of her Uh, car uh, with her hands on the vehicle and the video footage I saw showed this woman's face as she was doing this and she was clearly agitated and worried and miserable over having been pulled over for something that she did not understand. What she did not know was that her boyfriend was sitting in the police car. He was a soldier who had just returned from serving our country in Iraq, and he had arranged with the police officer that this would be the way that he would let her know (laughs) that he had returned. So with her standing there behind her car with her back to the police car, this serviceman got out of the police car and approached her from behind. He grabbed her arm and turned her around until she was facing him. And when she saw that it was her boyfriend, her countenance completely changed from one of distress to one of extreme joy. It was then that her boyfriend dropped to one knee and asked her to marry him. (laughs) Then she was really a mess. And I had an allergy attack. That made my eyes tear up a bit. When she was asked a little bit later about her experience, the woman said, and I quote, I was having a rough day and had not heard from my boyfriend in days. When the sheriff asked me to step out of the car, I was picturing a night in jail trying to figure out what in the world was going on. It was such a whirlwind, unquote. And what a good whirlwind It was for that woman escorting her from a place of agitation to one of extreme joy. I begin my sermon uh, in this way this morning to say that if the passage that we're going to look at today were a video, uh, it'd be an amazing video for us to watch. Our passage today features an engaged woman named Mary As far as Mary knows, 400 years have gone by since the last time that God has spoken to Israel. But after all of that silence, the angel, Gabriel, shows up and surprises her. And Mary is initially distressed by the sight of this angel and the words that he speaks to her. But it is not long before things are revealed to her that causes her fear to give way ultimately to unimaginable joy. 
And today we get to watch this video. The passage we're looking at today should resonate with all of us for a number of reasons. The good news that Mary will hear about the Messiah in our passage today being born through her is good news for us too because we need a Messiah who saves us from our sins. Also, we often find ourselves feeling fearful and anxious, and maybe you are feeling fearful and anxious during this season, maybe on this very day. So as we see Mary make the journey from anxiety to joy, I think we can learn how to let God take us on that same journey as well and bring us to the kind of place where Mary ends up by the time we reach the end of our text today. But how does God accomplish this in Mary's case? Well, as we look at our text for today, we're going to observe, as you'll see on your notes, God using three witnesses, three witnesses whose testimony moves Mary from a place of worry to a place of joyful worship regarding the virgin conception of Christ within her. And the first witness that God is going to use is, you can fill in the blank, the angel Gabriel. The angel Gabriel. Now to set this up in verses 5 through 25 that we looked at last week, we saw last Sunday how Gabriel appeared to a man named Zacharias and told him that God was going to give him and his elderly wife a baby who would grow up to be the forerunner who prepares the people of Israel for the Messiah whose coming is imminent. We were told that Zacharias did not believe that news like he should have. So the angel Gabriel strikes him deaf and dumb until the day when his son would be born and when he would be named. We were told that soon thereafter, Elizabeth became pregnant and she kept herself after becoming pregnant in seclusion for a period of five months, marveling at God's goodness in her life. Now observe what happens beginning in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, Luke says, In other words, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, it says in verse 28, and this language implies that Mary was indoors, At the time, she was in a house or a room at the moment. And coming in, he, the angel, said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, the name Gabriel literally means mighty one of God. Could be translated warrior of God. So you can be sure that Gabriel would have been an imposing presence But he comes in to where Mary is and says about the kindest thing that an angel could ever say to a person, saying, look at verse 28 again, greetings, which is literally the command to rejoice. 
So be rejoicing, he says. And then he calls her favored one, literally graced one. And then he says, the Lord is with you. If you are ever greeted by an angel, this is the most positive greeting that you could ever hope for. But observe Mary's response in verse 29. The text says, but she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Notice how the text says that she was very perplexed. Literally, this expression reads, she was thoroughly agitated by this statement. No doubt she is agitated by a strange man showing up in her home, if that is where she is, and by the fact that this being seems more than human and looks intimidating, yet he is speaking directly to her as if he knows her, so she is left agitated by the statement that this being is making to her, and literally the text says that she kept on pondering what kind of salutation this was. Meanwhile, Gabriel is standing there waiting for a reply from Mary, and he's getting nothing from her. After all, how do you reply to an angel who greets you in this way? Do you say hi in return? Do you say thank you for the complimentary things he has said? Do you find some way to return the compliment? Mary doesn't know because her parents never taught her how to respond to a greeting from an angel. So she's got nothing for Gabriel at this point. So sensing the awkwardness of the moment, Gabriel tries to put her at ease and carry the conversation forward. Look at verse 30. The angel said to her, do not be afraid. Literally stop being afraid. Mary, for you have found favor. You have found grace with God. In the Old Testament, this kind of language is used with regard to none other than Noah. We are told in Genesis 6 that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and God ended up using Noah to build an ark through which he and his family would be rescued from the worldwide flood. And here Gabriel is saying to Mary, you have found favor, you have found grace with God, which would make it clear to Mary that God is going to use her in some way that ranks up there with how God used Noah. And indeed he will. Gabriel proceeds to explain just what that way is and how it will happen. Observe what he says in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Gabriel speaks in the future tense here, but we're going to see how Mary understands him to be saying that this conception is imminent. It's going to be happening very soon, if not today. And what will be conceived in her womb is a boy, and that boy will come to full term and be born of Mary, and Mary is to name him Jesus, which in Hebrew is Yehoshua, Yehoshua, 
which means Yahweh saves, or Yahweh, or Jehovah, is salvation. Gabriel continues in verse 32, saying, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Kings in Bible times were often referred to as sons of God. So at the very least, this is a royal title, indicating that her son will be the Messiah King, whom the Jews have been longing for for many centuries. And Gabriel is literally telling Mary here that she will be the mother of the long-awaited Messiah. What will happen to this Messiah? Gabriel continues in verse 32 saying, And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. What's crazy about this promise is that there is no throne of David in operation. At the time that this announcement is being made, because the Romans are in charge. But Mary would know from what the angel is saying that at some point the Romans are going to be removed from power and the throne of David will be reestablished and her son will be the one that God seats upon the throne of David. And her son is not just going to reign upon the throne of David for 40 years like David did. Gabriel continues in verse 33 and says, and he will reign over the house of Jacob that's Israel, forever, and his kingdom will have no end. In other words, his term of service as king will have no end in time and in space. He will rule eternally over the entire physical and spiritual universe, and no one will ever be able to find the outer borders of his kingdom. Imagine what it must have been like for Mary to hear all of this. Just a few moments earlier, Mary was in her house minding her own business, and an angel appears and tells her these amazing things about what will happen to her and her son who will be eminently conceived in her womb. Well, This is a lot for Mary, as you can imagine, to process, but it does leave her with a question, actually it leaves her with only one question, and it's a logistical question. Observe what she does in verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? I'm honestly amazed that Mary had only one question. I think most of us would have had at least 20 questions. But Mary has one, and it's a biological question. The angel has just told her that she will imminently have a son who will be the Messiah and that he will live and reign forever over the entire physical and spiritual universe. And her response is, how can this be since I am a virgin? Evidently, everything else Gabriel has said poses no problem for Mary. It's the conception part, the part that has to do with her giving birth that she's wondering about. In normal biology, Mary knows that in order to conceive a child in her womb, she needs to be physically involved with a man. 
So she's hearing what Gabriel is saying, and she's believing him, but she's asking, how can this be? In other words, how can I eminently conceive a child in my womb when I'm not engaging in physical relations with any man? Mary, in asking this question, is not asking for some kind of sign like Zacharias was earlier in this chapter. She's wanting to know the mechanics of how this is supposed to happen so that she knows what she is supposed to do. Observe Gabriel's answer in verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. When you look at what Gabriel says here, you'll notice that he's not saying a whole lot here that would satisfy most people. But he is saying enough to Mary for her to know the radical truth that the biological father of her child will not be her fiancé, but God himself. Again, this is a woman who a few moments earlier was probably doing something like chores in her home, and she is now visited by an angel who's essentially saying to her, you are miraculously going to conceive as a virgin a child in your womb. His name will be Jehovah Saves. He will be the great Messiah. His rule will be forever. There will be no outer borders of his kingdom, and his biological father will be God, conceived in you, Mary, through the Holy Spirit. That's the testimony of Gabriel that Mary now is left to process. And the news continues from the angel in verses 36 and 37, where Gabriel speaks to her and says, And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God." So when Mary hears what Gabriel says here, she would not know about Elizabeth being pregnant with the forerunner of the Messiah, but she would know that somehow Elizabeth's pregnancy has something to do with her own, Mary's own miracle. Otherwise, why would Gabriel pass along this news to her in this moment? As for Mary, after hearing these words from Gabriel in reply to her question, amazingly, Mary has no more questions. Look at her response in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Wow. Dr. Eric Sprankel is an associate professor of clinical psychology and sexuality studies at Minnesota State University. A few years ago, he tweeted these words on Twitter, quote, the virgin birth story is about an all-powerful deity impregnating a human teen. 
There is no definition of consent that would include that scenario. Happy holidays, unquote. This is how unregenerate minds process the Christmas story in the Me Too era. They see Mary as a victim because of the power differential between her and God. But keep in mind, guys, that the possibility of being the mother of the Messiah was the dream of every Jewish girl in this day. And notice in verse 38 that Mary explicitly gives her consent and actually invites God to carry out his will in the matter, saying, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. That's not just her consent. That's her insistence that the words of the angel come to pass in her womb. That said, let's not be naive about this. In this passage, we see God being God and acting as one who has full rights to Mary's life and her body at the moment of his choosing. There's something truly remarkable in this moment as God is moving in sovereignty toward Mary in this way. And there's something equally amazing about Mary giving her consent so beautifully and quickly to God. Think about it for a minute, ladies. How, how would you have responded to this? Imagine being engaged and your wedding is a few months away and you have all these dreams about how your wedding and how your life is supposed to go. And then imagine an angel shows up and says, today you're going to conceive in your womb and nine months from now you're going to give birth to the Messiah and the biological father of your child is not going to be your fiance, but God. How would you respond? I would imagine if you love the Lord that you would feel honored, but would you have other thoughts too? Like, what about my wedding? I'm going to be pregnant at the altar with a baby that is not my husband's. That's awkward. And that's definitely not how I plan things out. Would you at least want a little more time to think about this? Like at least 24 hours to process the ramifications of everything and maybe talk to your fiance about this? Would you have any suggestions for God about altering the timing just a bit? Like maybe having you conceive after you and your fiance are married and living under the same roof so as to alleviate any suspicions about your child being the product of fornication? Would you want explanations and assurances from God? Would you say, Lord, what about my parents? What are they going to think? And explain to me first how you're going to work this out with my fiance, because he's going to die when he hears about this. And what about the townspeople? What will they think of this? You've got to explain this to me, Lord. I can't give you an answer right away. I need some time and some answers and some assurances first before I do. 
These are the kinds of ways many of us would have responded, but Mary doesn't do any of these things. She just submits and surrenders all of such details to God and says, Behold the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And she's done with the conversation. And I can guarantee you that she is not simply entering into surrender mode right now in this moment. The only way, the only way that Mary could respond this way in this moment is if she was already surrendered to God before this moment arrived. And now her surrender is merely wrapping itself around this latest revelation from God. So Mary has heard substantive testimony from the angel Gabriel, and that seems to be enough to bring her to a place of belief and surrender. But Gabriel did tell her about Elizabeth, which makes Mary want to go and see her right away. And this leads us to the second witness whom God uses to move Mary even further from a place of worry to a place of joyful worship. Witness number two is her spirit-filled relative, Elizabeth. Her spirit-filled relative, Elizabeth. Observe what happens in verses 39 and 40. It says, Now at this time Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, remember she's pregnant at this time, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? These words from Elizabeth would have absolutely astounded Mary. Mary has said nothing to Elizabeth except hello. And Elizabeth is saying all of this in reply. How could Elizabeth have possibly known that Mary is the mother of her Lord, the Messiah. Well, we are told in verse 41 that one of the reasons is that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So she is obviously able, through the Holy Spirit, to discern these things about Mary through revelation being given to her by the Holy Spirit which leaves her now practically prophesying and delivering inspired speech to Mary about the truth of what has happened in Mary's womb. And as Elizabeth speaks here, she speaks another affirmation that had to have been revealed to her supernaturally. Look at verse 35. As she continues speaking to Mary, this is verse 45, she says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Remember from last week that Elizabeth's husband, Zacharias, did not believe 
right? What Gabriel had told him would happen in connection with their own miracle child. And now Mary shows up and Elizabeth says, blessed is she. Speaking of Mary, that believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her. And in saying this, Elizabeth is not making some kind of dig at her husband who did not believe. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through Elizabeth. And the Holy Spirit here is truly commending Mary for her most remarkable faith. Zacharias failed to believe a lesser promise that God would give him and his wife a son in their old age. But Mary was told that she would conceive as a virgin the Messiah in her womb, and he would reign forever, and his kingdom would have no borders, and she believed that announcement. And Elizabeth is commending Mary for her faith and assuring her that Mary is indeed the mother of Elizabeth's Messiah. Now, on one level, Mary did not need these words from Elizabeth. She did not need this prophetic testimony from her relative Elizabeth, but it had to have meant a lot to her, don't you think? She has received extensive testimony from Gabriel about the virgin conception of the Messiah within her, but I love the fact that God throws this on for good measure, that God felt that it would be extra helpful for Mary to hear from this older relative also, which had to have left Mary feeling even more confident. What's obvious is that God doesn't just want Mary to have barely enough evidence regarding the miracle taking place within her womb. He wants her to have overwhelming evidence that leaves her with a confident and assured heart. This is what God does for all those who trust him and surrender themselves to him like Mary has done. Don't wait for more evidence before you surrender your life to God. Surrender to him now, and then he will pour out more evidence on you than you will know what to deal with. And amazingly, God is not even done giving Mary assurances. Thus far, Mary has now heard from Gabriel and from her spirit-filled relative Elizabeth, but there's yet a third witness whose testimony God uses to minister further confirmation to Mary about the virgin conception of the Messiah in her womb, which moves her even further away from her original place of worry to a place of joyful worship. And that third witness is Elizabeth's son, John the Baptist. Elizabeth's son in her own womb, John the Baptist. Let's read verse 41 again and pay attention to some words we didn't comment on earlier. The text says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, what happened? The baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So two things happen here. First, Elizabeth's baby, who will later be named John, leaps in her womb. 
And second, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and the first event seems to bring about the second. Earlier in verse 15 of this chapter, Gabriel had told Zacharias that Elizabeth's baby would be filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb, and now Elizabeth is understanding why that information was important. Observe how Elizabeth's response to the baby leaping in her womb, beginning in verse 42. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Again, this is amazing knowledge that Elizabeth displays without being told. Mary is pregnant with the Messiah, who is Elizabeth's Lord, But the question is, what caused Elizabeth to discern these truths about Mary, that she's pregnant with the Messiah? Well, look at the explanation that Elizabeth gives to Mary in verse 44. Elizabeth says, for or because, here's why I know these things about you, Mary, For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. It's actually striking how important the leaping of John the Baptist in the womb of his mother looms in this account. Luke tells us that John in Elizabeth's womb leaped in the womb of his mother in verse 41. Then he lets Elizabeth tell us again in verse 44 that he leaped in her womb. And we learn in verse 44 that Elizabeth actually states the fact of John leaping in her womb as the reason that she has concluded that Mary is the mother of the Messiah And this fact about the child leaping in her womb is also the very last thing out of Elizabeth's mouth that causes Mary to then break out into an anthem of praise immediately in the very next verse. So a fair question would be, why would the leaping of John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb be so important And why would Elizabeth and Mary infer so much meaning from it? Well, to answer this question, we have to go back to the Old Testament, to the last chapter of the Old Testament, to Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, where God is speaking 400 years prior about the coming day of the Lord And he makes this promise to his people. Listen to what he says in Malachi 4.2. He says, and I quote, But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. Unquote. By the way, as you listen to those words or see them in Malachi 4.2, who's the son of righteousness? Well, you guys announced that this morning when you sang, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You said, Hail the son of righteousness. You proclaimed as you sang. 
that the son of righteousness is Jesus. And in Malachi 4.2, God says, But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you, here's your response, you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. So notice the wording there. When the son of righteousness appears... His appearing will cause God-fearers to skip about like calves from the stall. One translation uses the word frolic to translate what the New American Standard translates as skip about. And another translation, I believe the ESV, uses the word leaping. Most importantly, in the ancient Greek translation of this passage, Malachi 4.2, The Greek word translated skip about is skirtao, skirtao. The text says in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, you who fear my name will skirtao like little calves. And the Greek word skirtao means to leap with playfulness and joy. So coming back to Luke chapter 1, verse 41, the Greek text reads this way. Look at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby skirtaoed in her womb. And Elizabeth uses that same word in verse 44, when she says to Mary, for behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby skirtaoed in my womb for joy. And this is why Elizabeth is immediately filled with the Spirit and reacts the way that she does. God says in Malachi 4.2 that when the Son of Righteousness appears, God-fearers, will skirtao like lambs from the stall, and Elizabeth's spirit-filled baby in her womb does exactly that as Mary is approaching, causing Elizabeth to conclude that the son of righteousness is in the womb of Mary. Then filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth began speaking things that Only the Spirit could have revealed to her. And Mary would be able forever thereafter to testify and say, I simply greeted my elderly relative Elizabeth. And before I could tell her anything, she started blessing me and blessing the child in my womb and telling me that I am the mother of her Lord. And part of how she said that she discerned that was from the baby in her womb leaping for joy, consistent with the promise of Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. Well, all in all, Mary has now received testimony from three witnesses, Gabriel, a spirit-filled Elizabeth and the baby in Elizabeth's womb. And we could add a fourth witness, and that is the prophet Malachi to that list. Mary never asked Gabriel for any extra evidence like Zacharias did, 
But that's what God chose to give her anyway after she surrendered herself to his will. And hearing about the leaping of the baby in Elizabeth's womb serves as the final straw for Mary. She's now a million miles away from the agitation that she was experiencing in verse 29, and she explodes in an anthem of praise, which we find beginning in verse 46. And some suggest that what we have here, beginning in verse 46, is the greatest song ever written. Look at verse 46 and following and appreciate the lyrics of her beautiful song. And I'm just going to read these without comment. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. What a song. After this, we're told in verse 56, and Mary stayed with her. She stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her home. In other words, she stays with Elizabeth until the birth of John the Baptist, and then she returns home waiting for the day about six months later when she will give birth to the Messiah, and that story is recorded in Luke 2, the next chapter, and many of you, I know we read that as a family yesterday, and many of you would have done so as well, or read it together this morning. But that's our story for today, a true story. It's not fake news. It's the exact truth of how it happened as written by the historian Luke just a few decades after these events took place. Many suggest that he actually interviewed Mary and derived this information from his conversations with her. Mary starts off this story being fearful and perplexed, but in the end, she is full of praise, and God uses the testimony of Gabriel and Elizabeth and John the Baptist and Malachi to get her to this place of joyful praise. The only question for us this morning is how will we respond to this account that we have heard and studied this morning. Let me give you a few ways we should respond. Number one, keep reading and consider the rest of the story. Like don't finish Luke 1 and say, wow, that's amazing, and then close your Bible. No, keep reading through Luke and the other gospel writers and the rest of the Bible and consider the rest of the story of Jesus Christ 
At the very least, consider the way Jesus was born and then grew up and went on to deliver teaching like no one ever taught before. On top of that, he healed the sick, he gave sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf, and he cleansed the lepers and he made the lame able to walk again. He cast demons out of people and he even raised the dead. Even more amazing than all of that, Jesus loved sinners and misfits who were always left overwhelmed with the grace and the truth that they experienced from Jesus. He spoke truth to them about themselves in ways that pierced their consciences like they had never experienced before, but he also loved them with a love that they never dreamed possible. This one knows me utterly, everything, and he loves me still. And then this same Jesus was crucified on a cross and shed his blood to give atonement for all of those sins that you and I have committed. And three days later, he was raised from the dead. And then shortly thereafter, he was ascended to the right hand of God where he reigns now from on high, And ever since, he has been giving out salvation and the forgiveness of sins to everyone who looks away from themselves and from anything else and looks to him as their Lord and Savior and believes in him and calls upon his name. Everything about the life and ministry of Jesus was amazing, and it's all recorded right here in the Bible. And Luke, in our passage today, is simply telling us about the events surrounding his conception. So yes, consider what we've learned in our passage today, but read the Bible and learn more about Jesus as he is revealed in this book that we're studying this morning. And as you do that, I encourage you to believe what you read, to believe the truth about Jesus as it is revealed in the Bible, just as Mary did. When Elizabeth saw Mary, she said to her in verse 45, Blessed is she who believed. And may such a benediction be spoken over you too as you respond to the revelation of God in the Bible about Jesus. If you are here today and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ and called upon his name for salvation, I urge you to do that today. Humbly confess that you are a sinner, that you have a deep sin problem from which you are unable to rescue yourself, but you need to be rescued and believe that Jesus died on the cross in order to give you atonement and forgiveness for those sins and to rescue you from your sins. And believe in Jesus as the Son of the Most High God, born of the Virgin Mary. Perhaps you're hearing that, and your response is, I don't believe in Jesus. Perhaps you have heard this message, and you don't believe what this text teaches you about the virgin conception and birth of Jesus. 
Perhaps you say, I can't believe in the virgin birth of Christ because that's scientifically impossible. You expect me to believe that? Well, if you don't mind, let me read to you from someone who also denies the virgin birth of Christ. His name is Quentin Smith. He's an atheist who denies things like the virgin conception and birth of Christ. But if you were to ask Quentin Smith where the entire universe came from, he would say this to you, and I quote, the most reasonable belief is that we came from nothing, unquote. Stephen Hawking, the great mind, once said, and I quote, the universe can create itself from nothing. Spontaneous creation is the reason why the universe exists, why we exist, unquote. What these men are suggesting sounds an awful lot like a virgin birth to me. Only what they are advocating for is the virgin birth of the entire universe. Out of nothing, which gives rise to every human being. And yet they cannot embrace what the Bible teaches about the virgin birth of Christ. You see, guys, if you deny the miracles of the Bible, you don't have the luxury of denying those miracles without having to create your own miracles that are even more fantastic than the Bible's. So pick your miracles wisely and realize that it is better simply to believe the Word of God and the truth of about Jesus who was born of the Virgin Mary and who stands ready to be your Savior and your friend. And you should also do another thing while you are at it, and that is surrender. Surrender to God the way Mary does in our passage today. Mary's response to Gabriel was, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And all of us ought to do the same thing. God wanted Christ in Mary's womb, and Mary surrendered herself to that, but God actually wants Christ to come into you and dwell in you throughout the entirety of your life. Will you surrender to his love, and will you say, may it be done to me according to your word? I hope you'll respond that way today. Finally, in our passage today, we find the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaping for joy over Jesus, and we also see Mary singing a joyful hymn of praise to God, and we should be moved by the virgin conception and birth of Christ to leap for joy and to praise Him too. Wherever you are and whatever you are feeling today, look to Jesus, believe in Him and if you do believe in him, realize that what the angel said to Mary, God says to you as a believer, wouldn't you love to be greeted the way Mary is greeted in verse 28? You actually are greeted this way 
if you are a believer in Jesus. In verse 28, Gabriel literally says to Mary, be rejoicing. And in the scripture, we as believers are commanded to be rejoicing always because God has given us a million things to rejoice in. In verse 28, Gabriel calls Mary a graced one. And in the Bible, we learn that God has graced us with the blessings of salvation. And in verse 28, Gabriel says to Mary, the Lord is with you. And Jesus says to all who follow him, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So yes, Mary was uniquely privileged to carry Christ in her womb, to have Christ inside of her for nine whole months. But because of that miracle and many other miracles, you have opportunity to allow Christ to dwell inside of you and in your heart every single day. And all of that should be powerful enough to move you from any place of perplexity, agitation, or worry, or sadness that you find yourself in today to a place of joyful worship to the Lord, not only on this day, but every day hereafter. And I hope that'll be your experience in Christ. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you above all for the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for making sure that these things were not done in a corner, never to be known by others, but these events were shared and written down within decades after they actually happened. And here we are 2,000 years later hearing the story afresh of the virgin conception of our Savior in Mary's womb and how you overwhelmingly assured her heart. There are many things that... We have lived for at different stages of our lives. There are many things vying for our attention, Lord, for our lives to get wrapped up around, but nothing and no one can compare to the gravitas of Jesus. May our faith, may our worship, may our surrender, be wholly given over to him who alone is worthy. And if there is anyone in this room today, Lord, whose heart you are touching and drawing to yourself, I pray that you would help them to respond in humble faith and in the quietness of where they're seated to look to you, Jesus, to believe in you and to call upon your name as their one and only Savior. And help us all, Lord, to be faithful to do our part, not only to live for you, Lord Jesus, 
but to share the good news of great joy, which is for all the people, that salvation through Christ is possible for all. We commit ourselves to you, Lord, with thanksgiving in our hearts. In the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said,